Griffin, I want to tell you about the most fascinating storyline in professional wrestling right now. Are you receptive to this? I'm very receptive. I've been on wrestling TikTok a little bit. I saw a really cool one yesterday about all the different like hand signals that wrestlers use. Mm. And Is then, it about like, Randy Orton's power slam? Yeah, and like they react <laughs> to it so quickly. So yes, I am all in. Is okay. it Vince McMahon related? It's oh, that's it's a, a good storyline as well, but apparently not uh, not a lot of traction on the Vince McMahon front recently. We'll have to see <laughs> where that goes. Um, but I want to talk to you today about Sami Zayn Griffin, uh, a very talented wrestler. Uh, was very big, you know, about ten years ago on the indie scene. Uh, he had a masked character called El Generico, <laughs> uh, where. Basically, just that was just like the whole bit. Basically, he kind of just get it from the name and that he wears a mask. Um, but he's been Sami Zayn since he came to WWE. He has had some really great matches, but he has kind of floundered at times. He's struggled to really find his exact place. So recently, he has taken up with a staple called the Bloodline. Now, I assume you're familiar with Roman Reigns. I I know the name. Yes. He's got, like, long, greasy black hair. That's exactly what he has, Griffin. And Roman Reigns... So, literally, for probably five years, WWE attempted to push Roman Reigns as the top hero in the company, the top face. And, basically, fans weren't having it. They brought out The Rock, famously, to, like, raise his arm at a Royal Rumble and point to him and be like... It's this, I'm, I, The Rock, I'm supporting this. Like, you're next, booed. like, you're my heir. Exactly, and they still booed him. Um, so this went on for some time. He got cancer, did Roman Reigns, IRL. IRL. In okay. shoot, as we say. Um, I love all the to remission. He came back, and everyone was like, <laughs> oh, well, this is great, because, like, he'll only, he'll always be cheered from now on, because, like, he overcame cancer. And But then also, they'll never turn him into a villain because, like, how can you cheer against the guy that overcame cancer? As it turns out, they found a way. <laughs> uh, they did eventually turn Roman Reigns heel. He has been, like, the dominant heel champion for quite a while now in WWE. A very dominant figure on the wrestling landscape has gone very well for him. People are much more receptive to him as a heel than they were to him as a face. He always looked to me like a heel, not knowing anything about wrestling. I'm surprised to hear you tell me that he was a face. He has a very heelish vibe about him. I, many people <laughs> agree with you. So you have Roman Reigns as this ultra heel. He is part of this Samoan wrestling dynasty family, along with The Rock. That's why he got this special point. Right. Um, and so he started this stable called The Bloodline with a tag team called The Usos, who are his real-life like cousins. Uh, they brought another guy named Solo Sokoa, who is also part of this sort of, it's an extended family slash, you know, sort of adopted family, like within wrestling kind of idea. So you have this ultra powerful group, the bloodline, and then Sami Zayn starts coming in and basically saying like, I want to be in the bloodline, <laughs> like get me in there. Mm. I want to be an honorary Ouse, which is like an honorary member of this Samoan family. And so that's like, he was this great comedy character that everyone was into. He gradually has become more and more popular. It's one of the better long-term storylines they've actually done in terms of his sort of conversion to winning over the Bloodline, to actually becoming like a full-fledged member of the Bloodline. 
And now there's some cracks starting to show in the relationship where, you know, Sami Zayn, he has this very famous sort of blood feud slash brotherhood with another wrestler, Kevin Owens. So they went up against Kevin Owens in a match and Sami Zayn kind of, you know, beat down Kevin Owens and cemented his loyalty to the bloodline. And then on Raw on Monday, there was this segment called The Trial of Sami Zayn, where Sami Zayn was put on trial for being disloyal to the bloodline. Oh my goodness. And basically was going to be found guilty by Roman Reigns, basically. But then... Sounds like a a kangaroo court. (laughs) It's so true. But then Jey Uso, who had been the person who was the most skeptical of Sami Zayn when he first came into this whole bloodline faction... He was the one who stepped up and said, no, Sammy's been loyal to the bloodline. He's earned our trust. And so, you know, he, he don't bash him in the head, basically. And so <laughs> oh, Roman this was Reigns, a, a trial in a wrestling ring? <laughs> yeah, of course, of, of course. course. Um, so Roman Reigns says, okay, the verdict is not guilty for now, but you're going to have this final test at the Royal Rumble. So basically, what people want, and it's not clear exactly what's going to happen. People aren't sure. But there's a lot of support for Sami Zayn to win the Royal Rumble and then challenge Roman Reigns. Um, and it could present some problems to them if that doesn't happen because he has like become so popular as this character. Right. But isn't so he's going to like try and take over the bloodline? Or he is just sort of going to splinter from the bloodline and he maybe the Usos will. Or like a capillary. <laughs> Sure. The capillary. <laughs> sure. Uh, yes, I absolutely good. love all that. I gotta say, I feel for Roman Reigns a bit. He had this family, Sammy Zay, Sammy, what's his last name? Zane. With Zane. A, an N. Seems like he sort of worked his way in there, and now he's just like trying to break it up. Like, I gotta wonder if this was his plan all along. This is why I can't watch wrestling, because I know that the soap opera structure will immediately get me 100%. It's like the perfect mix of like soap opera and like Saturday morning cartoons, where it's like, oh my god, I can't believe that the uh, overworlders have betrayed the Mepedians. Just shout out for all my chaotic fans out there. Whoa. I was a huge chaotic head, still am to this day. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, uh, and speaking of chaotic, Griffin, it's time for another episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. <laughs> gotta be the longest opening segment in HFLC history. We're making HFLC history here today. I knew as I was saying it that I was going on too long, but no, I had no, to. No, it's great. I, I, I appreciate the story it. to its end. I am, you know, like you said, there's this whole Vince McMahon uh, thing going on right now as well. So very interesting time for wrestling, especially you know North American wrestling. Griffin. I want to welcome you and all of our listeners to HFLC, High Flow, Low Ceiling, the sports podcast you are listening to now. We've got a jam-packed show. A.O., our famous catchphrase. (laughs) Jam-packed. Couldn't agree more. Uh, And to start things off, I just want to dive right in. You wanted to talk about the old Brooke the Cook, they're calling her. Oh, are they? I must have missed that. Yeah, Chris, I got a question for you. It's sort of a... Eternal question among us Canucks 
foreshadowing, who are um, <laughs> who is the best non hockey athlete in Canada right now? I would like to pose to you that it is in fact Brooke Henderson who won the first LPGA tournament of the year last weekend. It's her thirteenth tournament win, putting her, I believe, only behind Mike Weir, who had fifteen in terms of Canadian golfers. She's one of the best golfers on the planet, and I mean the the her opponents are probably Alfonso Davies and a few different guys in the NBA, but I think that Brooke Henderson is in that conversation. Well, there is one element of the populace that I think you're forgetting, Griffin, which is the Olympic athlete. Mm. And it does feel like, you know, people kind of have their moment in the sun in terms of being like the glorified Canadian athlete. Like it really is like a what have you done for me lately position. It really is. I think that Alfonso Davies' time has kind of passed. You know, if Canada had done a little bit better at the World Cup, if some of Yara's predictions had come true, then... Is that uh, who we're blaming? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yara was standing hard. She said they were going to the knockout stage, and look where it got us. So thanks a lot, Yara. Yeah. But I do feel like every year you kind of get one person. Like, so last year it was probably Alfonso Davies. And then the year before that is Damian Warner. Yep, yep. And then the year before that is Andre DeGrasse. And then a couple of years before that, it's Penny Alexiak. So I feel like there is kind of like one slot you get if you're not pretty much a hockey player. And a couple of basketball players get thrown in. But I feel like you get the one slot. And I feel like, you know, if she's starting her year off like this, you can you can definitely slot her in there for the time being. I don't see... I don't see why you couldn't. Yeah, yeah, it's not an Olympic year, so she won't have mm-hmm. to worry about any of that. She is an Olympic athlete. I was just trying to quickly check if she's won an Olympic medal. I don't think that she has, but um, yeah, Brooke Henderson. I'm 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 firmly in that camp. Uh, there's some soccer players as well, of course. The sure, great Christine of Sinclair, of course. Don't even have to mention it. But yeah, I think like it's. With it's it's not taking away from any of the other athletes to s- say that I think she's right at the top of the list. I think that's totally reasonable. Uh, speaking of elite athletes from other countries, Griffin Rui Hachimura. <laughs> there we go. Has been the natural to- progression. <laughs> yeah. Has been traded to the Lakers for Kendrick Nunn, three second round picks. Does this put the Lakers over the hump as champion contenders, Griffin? Do, do, am I missing something on Rui Hachimura? Because I have seen tweets. I saw a tweet that asked if this made them playoff contenders. Uh, uh, Rui Hachimura, he's like a toolsy guy, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, he was coming off the bench to start this year. And last year as well, he was mostly a bench guy, kind of more of a spot starter. But if you look at his career, like... 13 points, 5 rebounds. Like, he's, like, very solid. I would almost put him, maybe this is overrating him a little bit, since he has some defensive issues as well, from what I understand from talking to some Wizards fans and hearing from them about how he plays. Like, I think a lack of motor is Mm. something that gets criticized sometimes. But, you know, you think of him, like, in the vein of a Thomas Bryant or a Larry Nance Jr., like, one of those kind of, like you said, toolsy, I think is a good way to put it forwards who can sort of contribute in a spot starter role or a bench role but i mean i certainly don't think it moves the needle that much no he doesn't shoot threes does he 
No, I don't think so. That feels like a big part of what the Lakers are missing. I mean, you know, he had like a fluke year last year. He shot 45% from three on three attempts. So like, if he's that for player... For the season? Then, for the no, season. Um, and now he's back around his more career average of like 34%. Okay, so, I mean, I guess you have to respect him out there, but yeah, I, yeah. Don't, I don't, I mean, I'm not against the move for the Lakers, like Kendrick Nunn, I don't think was anything, and second round picks, whatever, and like, it certainly, they need rotation quality players, so I don't think it's a bad move, but I'm just like, I'm not, I'm like, okay, Yeah, Go that's off, the thing, it's like, Kings. it's hard, it's hard to really, Lakers, to be more precise. True. Yeah, um, the Kings don't need, I mean, they might buy at the deadline, but Kings are, are rolling. Absolutely, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's a matter of what they gave up to me, like which was nothing. Yeah, and they like do really just need bodies right now. It feels like so to add in like a guy who was at least NBA rotation quality compared to Kendrick Nunn, who was like under fifteen minutes a game, not really doing much for you. Then you know, I think it's a, a nice little move for them. Maybe not a needle mover. Yeah. All right. There you go. There's our <laughs> consensus. I know you guys were hounding us on socials. <laughs> the Hachimura Hive was really rolling out for, for this episode. <laughs> that's a good name. Uh, that's the title of the episode. The Hachimura um, Hive. The other thing I wanted to do, Griffin, was to check in on our teams that we drafted last week. A great, another great weekend for football, especially for me. We talked yeah, about you're, that Yeah, you seem to be thinking... <laughs> That you are dealing with a big advantage here. I think you have to say that I came out way ahead this weekend. I think each of us have one forward or one favorite and one underdog in the championship game. I have the Chiefs and you have the Eagles. We each have the favorite. And you have the Bengals and I have the 49ers. We each have an underdog. I'm going to go ahead and look up the betting line for Chiefs Bengals. Because I'm curious as to. It's in Kansas City. Sure. And I honestly, the 49ers look good. That defense is solid as a rock. Sure. Solid as a rock. Nice arresting Um, development reference. Bengals are 1.5 underdog point underdogs on the road, which means that a neutral site, they would be favored because usually Mm. there's the rule of thumb that it's a three point swing is the home field advantage. So, you know, not to, not that I wish injury on anyone, but in oh terms God. of success for my slate, of, no, I'm not, and I'm not wishing it now. To be <laughs> this clear. this one little stickum has really brought out the worst in you. <laughs> but an injury has occurred already, or has occurred if you prefer to say it correctly. <laughs> um, Patrick Mahomes did have that ankle sprain. He did. We think he'll probably be good to go in this weekend, but you know he's not. He's probably not going to be at a hundred percent, and then. If that ends up being an issue, the Bengals looked amazing against the Bills. We talked about that being sort of the marquee matchup that would give me a big boost if the Bengals could knock off the Bills. Not only did they knock off the Bills, they dominated the Bills, held them to 10 points at home. It was a snow game. Like, there was some sort of additional elements that worked in yep. the Bengals' favor, I think. I think the fact that the Bengals had a really strong run game and the Bills couldn't really get that going for themselves in that game was a big element of it, like Joe Mixon. I don't know how many yards he had, but had a fantastic game. Um, And I think that was a huge difference maker for them. But the Bengals really, like, they can hang with anyone, I feel like. 
Oh, wow. This thing that I'm looking at actually has the Bengals as one and a half point favorites. Well, there you go. There you have it. Um, Eagles only two and a half point favorites over the Niners. Sure. So we're tight. We're in tight in both of these games. I do think they're going to be two great football games. I'm still not sold on the Bengals. I think that was more the Bills failing. Uh, okay. Last week I asked you if there was a Nick Nurse conversation to be had. Chris, we're a few years in now. The playoff struggles have been there. Is there a Josh Allen conversation to be had? Um, I he did he did disappoint me. I will say, I well, I, but I like, hope that doesn't get back to him. <laughs> I mean, like, what's the conversation? I guess would be my question. Like, is he overrated? He might be a little overrated. I think you know, it's totally possible. I think it probably has happened actually at this point that. Next year, when the season comes around and we're talking about elite quarterbacks, that, you know, it's usually sort of Patrick Mahomes 1A, Josh Allen 1B. I think you'll hear Joe Burrow's name start coming up more in that 1B conversation. That was going to be my follow-up. Who's closer to Mahomes? Is it Josh Allen or is it Joe Burrow or is it Lamar Jackson? It's hard to say. (laughs) It's extremely hard to say when you throw (laughs) Lamar in the mix. Um, I think that just... On a strictly tools basis, it's hard to go against Josh Allen. But then at the same time, Joe Burrow does have this track record going back to his college days. Like, there, I, you know, we sort of talk about, I think we sort of try and balance analytics and sort of the more intangible elements on on this podcast. And it's hard to deny the fact that Joe Burrow has consistently overperformed in big games or like, you know, come up big in big games. I heard something on the broadcast last week that the Bengals haven't lost since Halloween. It's like you think about Jeez. the stretch that they've had. It's they've have been, and I think Tony Romo brought up a really good point as well. Like you look at the teams that are left, it is basically the teams that were the best the last like six weeks of the season, like the Bengals, the Chiefs, the, the Niners, Eagles and, the Niners. and the Eagles. Like those were pretty much the best teams. Like Buffalo was better, t- sort of in the middle of the season. Other teams sort of, yeah, I guess you have Minnesota, if that counts. <laughs> like, they were had a really great start to the season. But, yeah, like, I think that it's more now, like, Mahomes comes out ahead of the pack, and then you have this sort of second tier, rather than the tier one being Mahomes and Allen, and then everyone else sort of jockeys for position underneath. Yeah, like, and you brought up that Allen has all the tools. I mean, Joe Burrow's got a lot of tools as well. Mm -hmm. He is phenomenally talented, as much as I hate to admit it, with this blossoming rivalry between the Bengals and the Ravens, which is (laughs) a really good one. They don't like, the two teams do not like each other, Chris. These two teams (laughs) do not like each other. These, this bitter AFC North rivalry. That's AFC North Um, football, baby. It's tough. It's (laughs) physical. Absolutely. Um, there was something else I was going to ask you, but I've forgotten, so I will instead quickly say, Oscar nominations are out, Griffin. Yes, they are. As Do you have takes? Podcast, it is our duty to cover it. I No don't... sports movies this year. <laughs> no sports, it's true. People were talking about Adam Sandler getting nominated. I saw, no, I saw that too. I saw someone post like four actors and like, who's getting the fifth nomination? And some people were like, it should really be Adam Sandler for Hustle. And I was like, no, it should not. <laughs> people, I don't really know why that suddenly sort of rose to the forefront, but I was hearing because people, people you know, like grownups. <laughs> people love grownups too, if you know what's good for you. Um, but... a threat. <laughs> <laughs> 
But people do, you know, people like Adam Sandler. They like to see him yeah. get on it for Seems like a nice guy. A thing. I will say, I don't really feel super strongly about any of these movies. None of the, you know, best picture nominations were in my top five of the year. Um, you know, like, I really like Top Gun Maverick, but am I really going to be rooting heavily for Top Gun Maverick to win best picture? Not really. Am I really hard rooting for everything, everywhere, all at once? And one of, as a friend of mine recently put it, one of the more annoying fan bases to mm. crop up in the wake of a movie's release. Uh, but in it's also, memory. the haters are also annoying because that's the worst part about having an annoying fan base is because then there are people who hate it just for the reason of being contrarian. And to mm-hmm. me, those people are worse. It, you see it in sports all the time where people are like, oh man, like Mike Trout isn't the best player in baseball. He's actually terrible. Look at his playoff numbers. It's like sometimes the consensus opinion is there because it's correct. And yeah, I mean, I don't think everything everywhere all at once is really the Mike Trout. It, it's not movies. a direct comparison. But I'm, but I mean, even in terms of like, you know, something like, I don't know, Parasite even, like something that no one really dislikes. Yeah. And like, it's it would be hard for me to sort of like, I think you'd have to sort of stretch and reach for a case to say it's a bad movie. Everything ever all at once, I can completely see why it's a polarizing movie, why there are people who, like, if it if it doesn't work on you, because it is kind of, like, it's trying to tug at your heartstrings, it's trying to, like, push for something very grandiose, and so if it doesn't work on you, then you're just like, oh my gosh, this is so, like, it's like eating a bad cake, you know? Mm. Like, it's so rich while also being so off-putting that it be like magnifies <laughs> the intensity of your dislike for it. I think it's how some people feel about that movie. Right. And I gotta say, I've only seen three of the ten nominations so far, but I feel like the last couple of years have been really strong years, and this one doesn't have as many that have really grabbed my attention and my imagination just yet. I always care more about the acting awards anyway. Yeah, for sure. And it has. I think it is a, a bit of a weaker acting year, um, there's not yeah, a lot. There's, of there's nothing really... no one's like really talking about. I guess Austin Butler. Yeah, people really like that performance. I think it's a and good performance. Michelle but Yeoh. I'm not really in the camp of getting excited. And then Michelle Yeoh, like, sure, I would absolutely love Michelle Yeoh to win a Best Actress Oscar. That would be really cool. But you know, it's more about the actor receiving the award than it does me really caring about the performance. Yeah. Well, speaking of. Um, Great performances. Great performances. And, you know, we talked off the top about making HFLC history, Chris. It's a new member of the three-guest club, the three-time guest club. I believe it's just Clem. Is Clem the only one in the three-time guest club? That might be We've had Yara twice. twice. We've had Mitch twice. Yep. Uh, We'd love to have Mitch back on with everything going on with the Blue Jays. We'll have to reach out to him. Um, Uh, But, yeah, we've got another... We got the excellent Adam Copeland on. We've already recorded this, Griffin, and if I may say so, it's a great segment. Great segment. Uh, So we're going to talk about one of the least, or most talked about, least liked. (laughs) They're a disaster. A truly disastrous hockey team, the Vancouver Canucks. Just to provide a a quick second of context before we jump right into that discussion, which you will hear shortly... um, Vancouver Canucks, they recently fired coach Bruce Boudreaux. It was kind of a foregone conclusion. People knew that this was happening. The whole world knew that this was happening, but they just wouldn't fire him. Bruce Boudreaux was put in a terrible situation where he was like, yep, 
it really sucks to like have to do this. And yeah, just like have he to was admitting here. in press conferences, like yeah, like he was getting like emotional just about like how much he loves coaching. But yeah, he was saying like yeah, he just. He, I think at one point he said, "I show up every morning until they tell me not to." <laughs> like yeah, it was bad. Um, it was very bad and a terrible look for the organization. And then that's only one of many things that has gone wrong with them. They've been a bad team on the ice. There's a bit of a controversy surrounding uh, Tanner Pearson, who has this hand injury, which they initially thought was going to be like, I think a few weeks. And now it's like, he might not be back next season even. Yeah. Which is like, he's an older player that could be like career threatening, which is obviously a scary situation. Uh, so a lot going on in the Canucks organization right now. I'm going to throw to myself <gasps> and Griffin and Adam talking about the Canucks. Enjoy. Thank you, Griffin or Chris. We are so thrilled today to be joined once again by Adam Copeland of the Zoopcast. Welcome, Adam. Uh, before we get into the uh, entirely different Canadian hockey team, do you have any quick thoughts on the Ottawa Senators so far this season? Because, you know, it's been it's been up and down. Maybe more down than up. I think it's it's pretty it's pretty down right now, Chris. Chris, it's 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 pretty down. I I, I was really hoping, you know, because Griffin invited me on and he's like, we're gonna talk Canucks, and I'm like, thank God, I don't have to talk about the <laughs> Sens. <laughs> and then the first question is, how are the Sens? The the, the Sens right now, it's it's I don't know. I think it's pretty dire in Sens land in terms of vibes. Um, but I think, in all seriousness, I think people just need to like take a step back <laughs> and understand that we're way better off than we were a year ago. No matter like what the record is or how many losses in a row it is or whatever, like just resign to Brinkett, get a new coach, and get a new GM, and you'll be fine. So there you go. minor minor bit, tweaks, minor <laughs> tweaks. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I don't know. I I don't really think much will change on the ice until the the new ownership comes in and and the regiment the regiment is overthrown and we get some some new blood in the front office there and and sort some things out so i'll just be coasting the rest of the year which is adorable for the last <laughs> five years of being a sense fan <laughs> but i'm happy to talk about a different team absolutely yeah and it does you know looking at the roster even it just it does seem like things are definitely on a positive trajectory so you can at least take that to heart but we you're almost fortunate in a way <laughs> because as bad as the Senators have been, there there's been at least one other Canadian team taking up most of the uh, the airspace in terms of you know negative connotations, <laughs> bad reputation. The Vancouver Canucks. Um, where to start here? Because there are, in my mind, at least three different <laughs> controversies. No one really talks about the fact that they might have ruined Tanner Pearson's career anymore. They've really managed to escape that. That's yeah. the power of a good PR team, which they clearly <laughs> have out in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. it's it's nuts. I don't know. But it, it, it's true, right? Like, where do you even start? Like, it's, it's yeah, Canucks. Did you guys see, speaking of different ways to pronounce Canucks, did you see that yes. clip of the Fox, uh, the, the American? The poor, like, Washington, oh D.C. news reporter. That was painful. It's like Bruce Boudreau and the Vancouver Canucks and Rick Tuckett. <laughs> oh, like, for oh, three. Yeah, this is, why, this is why American networks shouldn't be allowed to talk about hockey. That's, that's just dire. Wow. A bold, bold claim from Adam. Um, but yeah, I guess let's start there because obviously that has been the big story the last few days is like the, this very weird 
closing of the saga for Bruce Boudreaux, like, the main thing that I kept coming back to Griffin was, like, normally, you know, to use a random example that just came to mind, like, the Browns acquiring Deshaun Watson off the field, it's a terrible look. Like, it's a huge damage to their reputation. They look terrible. On the field, you can say, like, oh, there's a benefit. They are getting a player who is good. Very true. What is the benefit for the Canucks is what I'm sort of trying to parse out. It's like, what are they trying to get out of how they handled this situation where it seemed like Bruce Boudreaux was kind of like hamstrung from the start. Their GM was like on national TV saying they didn't want him basically. And that was months ago at this point. Yeah. And now it's, it's really strange, isn't it? Like we've really never seen anything like this. Like I was talking to my friends about this, like imagine just, you know, in the context of going to work, right? You go to work and your boss is telling you, you're like, we don't want you here and we are going to fire you, but you have to work (laughs) for like the next week, knowing that none of what you do matters and we're going to just fire you. Like, what, what is that? It's craziness. Like Bruce Boudreaux before that game, I forgot who they were playing, but when they gave him like the Bruce, there it is chance. And he got emotional on the bench, which was a really like, that was a neat sight to, to see, but it's like, you know you're coaching your last game and there's nothing you can do about it. You've already, like, everybody knows <laughs> that you're getting fired. And then here you are, like, coaching in a meaningless game. It's so, so strange. But, I mean, to your to your earlier point, you're right. It's really nice that a team has kind of, like, you know, Ottawa has passed the torch to Vancouver in, in terms of, like, laughing stocks up north here. And I think what's really interesting about that is I don't think anybody expected it to be this bad for Vancouver. Like, I don't think anyone was convinced they were even going to make the playoffs or be like a real contender, but this is crazy. And I think a lot of people were were all on board with like, oh, the Habs are going to stink. Like the Habs are going to be the team that in Canada that really, really starts to go downhill. And they, you know, like they haven't been great, but they're tied at points with the Sens right now, first of all, which that's, that's depressing on its own end. But they like this, this Canucks thing is on a whole other level. I feel, you know, I feel especially bad for Bruce Boudreaux because that does not sound like a very fun thing to go through as a professional at all. Um, I, he really got the short end of the stick in like every way <laughs> in, in this interaction, which, which is really unfortunate. And, and now like, so I saw this stat, you know, the other day that the Canucks are actually paying. So the, the Canucks have three coaches on their payroll right now, <laughs> right? Like they have Boudreaux who they just fired. They have Rick Tockett, who they just hired, and they're still paying Travis Green, who they fired, like, what, three, two or three years ago? Like, that's nuts. They're paying, like, I think they're paying more for their coaches than they're paying Bo Horvat, who has 30 goals, <laughs> right? Right, like, and that's that's really what was confusing to me, Griffin. It's like, why now? Why couldn't they just, like, it seems like they were put in a situation where they had this extra year of Boudreaux, which we've talked about before, that they apparently just didn't know was happening or weren't anticipating. But then why not just let Bruce Boudreaux coach out the year? You're having a terrible year. You're almost certainly not going to make the playoffs now, even with Rick Tockett, the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the savior. savior. Yeah. So why why do you think that this is a, a move they chose to make now, Griffin? Was it really just like too far gone for them to possibly continue with Boudreaux? No, I have absolutely no idea why... I mean, Bruce Boudreau, we, as far back as the off season, like you said, Chris, we were hearing basically that they didn't 
know that he was under contract, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. That was sort of the gist of the reports that were coming out of Vancouver, and then there and they had, like the Canucks had played kind of well under Boudreau after he came in partway through last year. So and then they went off to that horrible start where they blew like three goal leads and six straight games or whatever the hell it was. And so it seems like that's a good time to fire him, but to drag this out for months and months where the team is terrible and Bo Horvat and JT Miller reportedly hate each other. And Luke Shen is like dividing the locker room in like pro and anti Miller camps. Um, and all of these things. And then, yeah. And you wait until now when you have no chance, like, did they, th- it's like, I, I actually saw a rumor that Rick Tockett had like a clause in his contract with TNT. Cause he was doing the NHL and TNT that he had to give five weeks notice if he was leaving TNT. So some people think that they might've come to this agreement with Rick Tockett five weeks ago <laughs> and just not been like forced to keep Bruce Boudreaux on but the way that they have handled one of the most popular and well-liked people in hockey is baffling like 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 you asked me why I can't think of a single rational reason and also Rick Tockett is not like a good coach I don't know why he has is the one that Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin must have like as their replacement he's had like one he he made the playoffs with arizona like in the bubble year and i think that was it that barely counts yeah that's kind of where i was leading next because you know it first of all i will say it's a very rare situation that a coach gets fired and like nobody blames the coach like bruce boudreaux weirdly like kind of comes out of this in a really great position yeah he's still getting paid he his reputation is like weirdly preserved even though he you know at the start of the year he was getting so much heat he was you know getting all sorts of negative attention for the way that the connects were playing and now it's like well clearly this isn't bruce boudreaux's fault because there's so much dysfunctionality throughout the organization that like you know he's just if he's a part of it it's one small part of it but what i wanted to ask you adam is like i'm not very familiar with rick talkin i must say do you think that making this move that tanking your reputation a little that cutting ties with Bruce Boudreaux and still paying him is this worth it to have Rick Tockett coaching your team I mean no (laughs) not (laughs) not really like it's like I really I really don't understand it at all like like what this Canucks team needs desperately is a full rebuild like there is no way around it it's just like I don't know what you expect to do right like you have you just take you take a look at at the roster right now, okay? And it's like you have Bo Horvat who's having an unreal year, okay? Like he's got he's got thirty goals. He's also twenty seven, and he's your captain. And I, you know, after that, J T. Miller, who is is like public enemy number one there right now and everywhere, his eight year deal has not even started yet. It starts next year. That is like dire. The fact that they and and you know like if they traded him because there was there was thought right of that that they would have traded him instead of signing him to this contract. Imagine how much better of a spot that they would be in if they traded J T. Miller at his peak value for like countless assets. You get a bunch of draft picks. You get a bunch of prospects. You're already starting what you should have started already, which is your rebuild. And now he's locked into an eight year essentially an immovable contract. So that that's going to be a fun one for them. The the Oliver Ekman Larson trade 
was really confusing at the time and is now even more confusing <laughs> because Arizona's got Dylan Gunther and he would look really good in the Canucks prospect pool right now, which is not very vast, right? Like they don't have a ton of guys up the pipe. Like you have Pud Colson and you have Hoglander who are in the A at forward. And those guys look like they might be something. And then, you know, like after that, right? Like it drops off pretty heavily, doesn't it? Like it's, you know, they picked, you know, Lekramaki last year in the first round out of Sweden and he looks okay, but there's really nothing much after that. And they only have six picks in this upcoming draft. Like they're, they're down a pick on the average. <laughs> um, so if I'm the Canucks, like, I don't really know what this coaching change is going to do. Like, it seems like it's kind of just delaying the inevitable of you're going to have to start over here from the beginning. I don't really think you can get many places with this current roster and you don't have a lot of help coming and it seems like you know you're, you keep tanking in the standings obviously this is a really good draft so the fact that they have their first is really good but i mean man if i'm vancouver i am like i don't even know who you could trade like i'm full selling at the deadline like i i don't know what's like what's the point of not blowing it up right that's i don't know i i, I think it's it's looking pretty dire there and the and the parallels that you could draw from this team to the you know 2018 sends is pretty like it's crazy, right? Like, it seems like they're kind of entering that phase now of everybody's in a really bad mood. The owner's getting in trouble, like management and, and, and the coaching aren't great. It's like all the same things are there. Um, and, and the Sens still aren't even out of it. And it's been six years. So if, if this is really where the Canucks are going, it's going to be a long road ahead for them. Yeah, I want to jump back. You were talking about untradeable contracts. This Oliver ekman Larson contract is insane. He, he has been a healthy scratch for them. He cannot play right now on the Vancouver Canucks, who are terrible, and he has a cap hit of $8.25 million. He has been a healthy scratch in 2022 at the age of 31. He has a cap hit of over $8 million until 2027. 2027! We'll all be dead by 2027, and the Vancouver Canucks will still have Oliver ekman Larson taking up $8 million on their cap and a no-movement clause as well, just for yeah, good measure. Nuts. Like I will say... What are they going to do with that? <laughs> I, I was literally, I was looking at their salaries today just to try and like get a picture of what they're looking like. And in my head, I was like, oh, they've got sort of like this, they sort of have like their two highly paid defensemen on like Quinn Hughes, who's like a really good young defenseman, even though he's very highly paid. And then Oliver Ekman Larson, I was like, oh, in my head, I was like, he's young, right? Nope, 31 years old. He's actually not even like, you know, Bo Horvat sort of like prime of your career age where you can sort of say, oh, well, yeah. you know, maybe when he's 33, like he'll still be, he might not be in his absolute prime, but he'll still be really good. Like, no, he is 31 and already like, it seems like his best years are behind him. So that is, you know, you'd have to think in a movable contract. It seems like the JT Miller contract is basically an immovable contract at this point. Um so, Adam, where do you go from here? Like, how how do you picture this happening? Because, you know, on the one hand, you have the pieces that people actually want, which are like, you know, your 23, 24, 25, Bo Horvat, 27-year-old, you know, quality pieces. And then you have these immovable contracts. So can they possibly get out from under this while holding on to, like, Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes? Or... You think they're just going to have to burn it all to the ground? Yeah, you you would have to do some really creative cap gymnastics to 
to make that whole thing work. But I, I mean, I don't know, like Bo Horvat's been in rumors all year, right, of, of being traded. And, and it seems like, you know, with the year he's having, they should get a pretty good haul for him. I know he's a, he's a UFA and like, there's no way that Bo Horvat is, is staying, right? <laughs> like if, if they keep him, like why, why on earth would you sign here right now? There, there you are, you are essentially signing on to do nothing for however many years you sign here. So it, it sounds like Bo Horvat will get traded and they'll get a good haul for that. And then after that, it's, it's, that's where the, the tough decisions have to be made, right? Like, what do you do with Pedersen? Pedersen's an RFA. He's got two years left uh, on, on his deal and then he's an RFA. You could keep him, but, you know, like if you're not even going to be a competitive, if you know you're, you're going into a rebuild and you're not going to be a competitive team, what's the point of keeping... Elias Pedersen, where he's going to waste all of his prime years while you are just building up, building up, building up, uh, and then you'll eventually just probably end up selling him off once you get there with a whole new crop of players. Like, why not just trade him off right now when his value is very, very high, still very, very young? You can get a ton of younger assets back and really start this thing from the ground up. But, but I, I mean, they made a couple of strange trades and, and signings that I think I think Vancouver was is in a spot where they really thought they were going to be. A little more you know competitive than they were right like they signed Ilya Mikheyev for four years which seems really stupid now because I mean that's not a player that you really need and it's like you know maybe that's a guy that teams would want but not for almost five million dollars for four years that's gonna be one where you're gonna need to attach stuff to, to get it out from under that but I don't know I I think like I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is going to sound stupid and ignorant, but I, I they have so many of these players that are just like duds that it's like if you end up keeping these guys, you're going to get good picks the next like three or four <laughs> years if you keep playing them. And and it's going to really speed your rebuild up. Like, I don't know why most like why some teams don't do this. Like, why? What's the point of, of staying in this like purgatory of like bad and even sometimes really bad, but not terrible enough to do this the right way like at that point it's like what are you accomplishing by just staying in this mode like sell everything except the guys that you need to be bad you know like suck you need every team needs to suck before they can do well that's kind of how sports work with the draft right like every team needs to suck a bit so just like just suck and and get your good players get your good draft picks and you know do i think rick talkett is the answer behind the bench no, I don't think he's going to last very long there. Like, what's the point of having a coaching carousel of all these guys? Like, just get one guy who's going to grow with this team as they start this this rebuild. And then the one spot that I do think they're okay is in net because I like Demko, and I think Spencer Martin's not terrible. Um, but those guys aren't exactly super young. So it's going to be tough for, for, for the Canucks. Like, they're entering what looks like a, it's going to be a very tough period for this organization i think a lot of changes are going to be made but the one constant is that jt miller will always be there and he will always be having a terrible time so everybody can look forward to that yeah the Pedersen yeah. question i think is the really interesting one he just turned 24 a couple months ago and if you're thinking it's three or four years until the canucks are good again uh sure he could be 27 28 29 if you keep him around but like adam said you could get such a bevy of things for him in exchange <laughs> and uh picks prospects players cap relief all of it um i couldn't think of any more things but any more peas <laughs> sorry any more peas any more peas yeah only picks prospects and players um but yeah to subject him through what is going to be absolute hell unless he gets to play with connor bedard 
for the next three years. So maybe that's what you do. Maybe you wait, you see how the lottery plays out, and then you ship off one year of uh, Elias Pettersson and his RFA rights. But there are no easy answers in Vancouver, and it sort of feels like... I feel like Jim Rutherford's just going to be like, well, I made a huge mess. Peace. And (laughs) they see you later. Because he probably doesn't want to deal... I mean, the real problem is the ownership. Jim Rutherford knows how to build winning hockey franchises. I don't think he just suddenly forgot how to do that. He built the Penguins. Uh, Sure, but, like, I mean, the Miller signing really does stick out as, like, at the deadline last year, he was a name that came up a lot. He was, like, probably the number one guy who people talked about as a trade target. They didn't trade him. He came up again in the offseason as a number one guy who was could possibly be moved. And they signed him to this extension, Adam, do you think, is is that just like an abject failure? Is there any way to salvage that, either in terms of, can he get some level of play back? Because I think, you know, at the time, people were sort of like, this season he had is a bit of a mirage. He probably isn't, you know, an $8 million a year player, but they still signed him to this contract. Is there any way to either salvage him as a player or salvage him as a trade asset that you can see? Or do you really just think that for the life of his contract, they will have this huge weight around their neck? Uh, Well, you know, I mean, we should give JT Miller like a little bit of credit. He's not having a terrible year points wise right now. Like he's got 41 points in 46 games. That's that's pretty good. But you know he's a he's a he's a minus 16 i know plus minus is, is a bit of a stupid stat but you know that's not great like he's getting close to the green jacket there in terms of you know plus minus stats from from around the league but i think with him it's you know the biggest thing is is this baggage that comes with him as a player in terms of attitude because we've heard this for a while now right how he's like he's very upset and he's he's getting angry at his teammates and like you know like you guys said right like they're divi- they're literally dividing the locker room over this guy um and i think what's going to be hard because we always know that there will be a team you know stupid enough to be like oh well we can fix him right like we can take him on and he'll be good in our room but man eight years like it's so long that contract is so long and it is so much money like even if you think you can salvage the player and he can give you some on ice production which he can like which team's gonna be able to fit that in their cap right now like for that many years like no way no one he hasn't even started the contract yet like he's still got literally still has eight full years left to go I just really think it's going to be hard for them to to maneuver their way out of that. And, and if they somehow do, they are going to have to sweeten that package a whole lot, and it's going to set their eventual rebuild back a ton. Um, so that's going to be like, I, I think, you know, eventually you could probably trade them around like you're like, you know, four or five or six, but that's a ways away. And I, I think the Canucks should really just be, you know, putting all their stock, like I, I said it before, but they, this like, they should be loading up for this draft because this this draft looks like it is going to be insane. Like it is going to be very very good. Everybody knows about you know Connor Bedard is going to be sick. He's going to be disgusting, and and Adam Fantilli is going to be really really good. But this whole first round looks like it like the 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 depth of this draft is something that we have not seen. People are saying since the McDavid draft in 2015, like it's going to be a really really good draft. This is this is literally like a perfect year to start your rebuild to get a bunch of picks in the first few rounds here, like trade away your guys and and get this show on the road. But as far as Miller goes, I really don't see them getting out of that. And and you guys are debating, right? Like, is that a bit of a managerial failure? I think so. I think that is a, is a 
lack of understanding where your team is at and what this player is worth and just signing it and kind of hoping that it fixes itself and it works right so i think that is a bit of a failure on on rutherford and his staff's part but you know like griffin made a good point you know jim jim rutherford's been around the block and, and he's been on some very successful teams i don't doubt he could do it again but you know those those penguins teams did have crosby and malkin right like they the canucks don't have crosby and malkin they've got to really work their way up um i don't know J, jt miller is gonna be that's gonna be a tough, tough one to shed yeah absolutely and yeah, the Miller, it's just, it's a really interesting situation because, Griffin, it feels like, you know, you were sort of talking, Adam, about the idea that they could, you you don't really see a lot of abject tanking in the NHL in the way that, you know, the NBA is obviously the prime example. You're starting to see it more in the NFL, you know, like starting with the Browns a few years ago and sort of coming up to the present where teams will just be like, we're trying to win zero games. We're trying to win like three games or fewer you don't really see it that much in the NHL. Um, and it's funny, Griffin, because the JT Miller contract is almost the kind of contract that, like, the Oklahoma City Thunder would want, where it's like, give us JT Miller, give us, like, two first-round picks, and we'll, like, take this on, take on, like, this burden for you because we don't care and we're not trying to win. But now they're in the situation where they already have the contract without the picks. And so... Yeah. There, it's just it's a really bad situation. Yeah, I want to talk about the salary oh, cap is such a factor in the NHL right now. Mm-hmm. Almost every team that's trying to win and could use a JT Miller is up against it. I saw that like seventeen of thirty-two teams are using LTIR already just to stay below the cap. Um, it's just there's no no one who's trying to win has room for an eight million dollar contract. Like no one can fit that in without sending out win now pieces back. And it, when you factor in the reports, the rumors, un, we don't know that JT Miller might not be uh, the most popular teammate in Vancouver at the moment. Uh, I just like Adam said, I think he's he's it's gonna they're hard pressed to move him. And yeah, he also the cap doesn't play the cap points good. He was hey, he was a top twenty-five Selkie candidate last year. <laughs> That's crazy. He will not be that this year. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a great point because you know I was literally seeing something the other day about the idea of your people were looking at Super Bowl teams, basically saying how much of a percentage of the cap that the quarterback takes up can often be a predictor of whether a team wins the Super Bowl because you do need that sort of contract efficiency coming from a contract. And, you know, if JT Miller is like... Do you, the, the first question is like, do you, is JT Miller a Stanley Cup winning first-line center? You would probably say probably not. No. But then it's like, is $8 million <laughs> to your second-line center, is that a feasible way to win a Stanley Cup? Probably not. And so you're kind of, you know, put in a very difficult situation. Uh, I want to talk about Bo Horvat because he is someone that we have not talked about, but has certainly come up a lot. Uh, obviously, like you said, I'm an unrestricted free agent after this year. A lot of different possible destinations. I've heard a lot of different things. It seems like it sort of comes into two camps because you would think, hypothetically, a team acquiring Bo Horvat would be planning to sign him long-term, would be planning to give him a significant contract of, like, 
let's say, five-plus years, like going into his 30s kind of thing, do you think it makes more sense for him to end up with a contender? I've heard the Hurricanes name a lot, you know, especially with Max Pacioretty being out for the season. You hear the Bruins name come up oh, because goodness. they are just like the juggernaut team right now, and so it's fun to think about what adding another great player would do to their roster. And then on the other side, you know, you have... It's almost a Debrinkat trade, right? Where he's going to the Canadians or the Red Wings or the Kraken, who are, you know, on the come up now, definitely, but are still sort of in that rebuilding process. Do you think it makes more sense for a contender to try and make a run at it with him? Or would you, as someone acquiring him, be hoping he'd stick around long term if you're giving up that kind of capital for him? I don't. I, Bo Horvat's a really strange player to me because this. So this year he is is forty nine points in forty six games. He's playing his you know the best year of hockey that he's ever played. He's never been a point per game player before um, in the NHL in in the last you know in his six year previous years that he's played. So you can call this like a peak year in a sense for him, which is really astounding when you understand that it's on this iteration of the Vancouver Canucks. Like he is a point per game on this team. So. You know, he's going to be attractive to anyone. The thing that, you know, throws me off a little bit about um, Bo Horvat is he's going to be turning 28 this year. And we talk about the prime of NHL players, and that has been lowering for a while now. Like, like I think it's fair to say that the prime, you know, could be considered like 23 to 26 now. Like that when, when you're, you're young, but you're, you've played a, a few years, but now you're, you still got your legs. You're real quick. You know, you know how to make all the moves and, and, and you're still, you know, really good and strong before you start declining. Um, and Bo Horvat is past that. And, you know, the fact that he's having a peak year here is great. But we saw this with, with uh, JT Miller last year. Like it might not be sustainable. Um, if I'm, I, I would like to see him as a rental because I think that would be an excellent rental, and I would not, I would not be comfortable signing Bo Horvat, you know, for longer than four years uh, to to a contract for sure, because then you're getting really up there in terms of years, and you know that the the dollar figure he's going to be commanding is going to be decently high, like he was the captain, uh, or is the captain, I should say, of Vancouver. But I, you, you talked about Boston. I think he's going to get traded to Boston. I think Boston's looking at, they've got Krejci, Bergeron, probably their last years, right? Krejci, Bergeron. And you're having this insane season. Like, they are so good right now, Boston. And it's like, obviously, the playoffs come, out, come around and everybody's turning it up. So it's like, how are we going to how are we going to assure ourselves that we're going to make this last year of our two legacy players like so special and really go for this cup? Bo Horvat without the extension, let him go to free agency after who cares? Like your whole team is, is going to change after that. You still got Pasternak and, and McAvoy to, to bring up the next generation. But this Bo Horvat thing and, and you know, Boston has has never been afraid to trade away picks or, or trade away their young players. Right. They don't have a lot of prospects like they don't have a lot of really young guys. So they're totally comfortable selling these picks away for Bo Horvat. They've got a couple of good depth roster players that I'm sure Vancouver could take. Um, I think he's gonna. I I don't think a team is gonna sign him. I think it's gonna be a rental, and I think he's gonna go test the market because I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just the only one thinking this way, but I really I don't know. I would not want to sign Bo Horvat long term, but you'd make a, a heck of a rental right now for a team like Boston. Griffin, I want to hear your thoughts on this as well contender or rebuilder where do you land on Bo Horvat you know obviously 
like Adam said, not a ton of consistency, but also will probably be commanding a pretty significant salary as well. Yeah, uh, the salary for sure. I think he's going to go to a contender, certainly, at the deadline. And I wouldn't be surprised if he, like, I don't know, he's a captain. He's a, a locker room <laughs> leader. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go a bit below market value to stay with a contender, whether it's a Boston, whether it's like a New Jersey or something, although New Jersey already has two very good centers. Uh, one thing that confused me is that we heard Elliot Friedman reporting that the Canucks are like not letting teams talk to Bo Horvat before trading for him, which I cannot figure out why you wouldn't. If he can agree to an extension with a team, can't you then get more on the trade market for yeah. him? Why Why would you deny, unless you think you're going to re-sign him? In the off season, I I don't. It's just a that another th- example of what are they doing? Like, why would yeah. you not let him try and find a team that will then, unless they think that, uh, I don't know, if he, that you only have one buyer, it's not much of a market. Or if you think that if you let Bohorvat tell people what's going on inside the Canucks, <laughs> that you As might. If everybody hear. doesn't already know. Yes, that's very true. Um. <laughs> I think that is going to have to do it for us today. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Your insight is always appreciated. And I hate to say it, but I think around draft time, we will be calling your name again. Have you already started your your prospect research? Well, when you're a Sens fan, you're always looking at prospect (laughs) research. That's the best time of year. How long a day do you spend on Tankathon? Oh, it's 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 getting up there now. <laughs> These last couple of weeks have, have really upped up the hours. That's for sure. Great oh, website. And- Good for Raptors fans too. Absolutely. <laughs> Hashtag bad team. And last thing, Adam Ryan Reynolds, yay or nay? Where do you stand? Oh, so yay! Oh my god, I would I would do anything for that guy to own the Sens. It would it would like I'm convinced it would single handedly fix everything. I I don't want to hear any other argument. It's tough right. because he would have like. The Sens are not a whatever division Welsh team. Like they, he cannot <laughs> afford them on his own. There would have to be no. someone with more money no. behind him. So he would be in this awkward situation of like the face, but not the actual power. Uh, so that, how, it's going to be interesting. How great to see would that, that be, though? Right? Like you get out. like a, a guy with like a ton of cash who can just you know dish it out and get do whatever. Like you have all the freedom in the world, and then like Ryan Reynolds is just there running the day to day. Like yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. just around. And, You'd and need the like, right silent partner for sure. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I think I think it would be great for the team if if he was an owner under any capacity. It would certainly be great for the NHL. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, definitely. They need it. The the Ryan Reynolds Steve Cohen partnership will will do drop the papers. I don't think that's the right partner. <laughs> it's not the right style partner. No. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Adam. We will be right back with more high floor, low ceiling. And we actually, Griffin, don't even need to take a break because we have run out of time. We had too much fun talking to Adam. Too much fun uh, talking about Oscar nominations. Yeah, uh, we have hit our limit. We can't. We can't stop loving podcasting. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Well, I mean, this was not our normally like our normal segment schedule. But hey, we said we were making HFLC history here today, <laughs> so, and we're doing it again. You can't stop us from making history. 
<laughs> Hope you've be... all been buckled in for the last hour for this ride of your life. <laughs> People are getting whiplash thinking that we were going to get a break, and now we're ending the show entirely. Not ending the show entirely, but ending the episode entirely. Oh, good, um, you scared me. <laughs> People must be so sad. They're probably crying right now. Hope that they're okay. Um, and to those people, I would just say, you know, disappointment is a part of life. Um, I encourage you to sort of let yourself experience that grief. Don't, you know, don't try and push it down. I don't think it's good for anyone to conceal their emotions in that way. But, mm. you know, just let yourself feel it and then overcome it. Realize that there will be other podcasts. Speak there will be other heart. episodes of High Floor, Low Ceiling. There will be... You know, there's a brighter future ahead. We have a great oh. segment that we were going to do today that we'll probably do next week. So get excited about that. Like, yeah, there's so many there's so much to look forward to in this world that you're not doing yourself any favors by dwelling on the past when we said we were going to go to break and then we didn't. Wow. Chris, I, mean, <laughs> I know I'm going to be coming out of this episode a completely changed man as if I wasn't already. That's really locked it in. Uh, just before we get going. Uh, two things. Number one, would like to point out, I posted a TikTok. I posted an Instagram. I Hello. haven't done it in a long time. I hadn't done it since we talked about Jalen Brunson signing with the Knicks. Wow. That was the last one. And we had a scary moment. I thought that I was locked out. I thought that I had <laughs> lost the HFLC <laughs> podcast forever. But then I discovered that it was like 2FA'd against the Twitter account. And like the Instagram account is 2FA'd against the TikTok account. So I'm just like, I'm... It's like the big short. Like, I'm just, like, balancing <laughs> on all this thing that's just keeping itself up. Right. Uh, the so, lower... But the problem's been solved. We are we have rock-solid access from now on. The HFLC tron... The HFLC Twitter is kind of the lower B tranches of... Yes. Oh, great. The on the nose. I've just started listening to Michael Lewis's podcast. He's the author oh. of the book, the book, The Big Short, and Moneyball. Great pod. Mm. Would recommend. Wow, absolutely. So listen to that. <laughs> listen to the OUA basketball podcast, Griffin. Still going strong. Still, yeah, you, you can know, find it on YouTube content. on the OUA official YouTube. Uh, Chris, both of your other podcasts taking a break, um, mm-hmm. but go listen to old episodes of Bevy of Bevies. Go sure. find if you're a comic head like uh, I am not really, but I've still found plenty of episodes of Got the Runs that I really liked. I'm getting mm-hmm. closer and closer to your Scott Pilgrim run. I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to that. Wow. Those meant Enjoy a that. lot to me when I was growing up, so I can't wait to hear you guys talk about them. Absolutely, uh, and even if you're not a uh, a comics reader, we have an episode on the Scott Pilgrim film that I'm oh, sure many people yeah. have seen. Yeah, and uh, a seg uh, an episode on the film Radioactive, starring Rosamund Pike that everyone has seen. Uh, I've heard that name. <laughs> uh, that episode, of course, featuring former HFLC guest Colin Ashley and current hflc fan emilio diaz uh <laughs> potential great episode uh, <laughs> sure why not should we plug can um, i kick it too um sure listen to can i we're, kick we're it handed, well, michael lewis got one can i kick it they got mentioned in like an article this is cullen and mm-hmm. emilio and other people i assume andy Gramuga, jesse Catherine weber many Whoa. good friends of mine but yes they were mentioned uh name drop in <laughs> I guess so. In the uh, Vulture article about the 13 best film podcasts uh, that Bill Gabiri, who has been 
uh, was a is a very venerated film critic and was also a guest on that show. Uh, mentioned them among some of the best film podcasts out there. So, so next time you're on Can I Kick It, you'll be sure to send all those people high, all the that vulture audience high floor low ceilings way, right? Absolutely. Um, uh, Chris, just before we wrap it up here, mm-hmm. just similar to my Nick Nurse question, The Fablemans, is it Steven Spielberg's retirement film? Is this the last we've heard of the legendary director? I can't imagine so, only because, like, you know, he's got I don't the bug. See a, yeah, I don't see a reason why he would stop. He, I mean, I don't think The Fablemans was an, an excruciatingly successful movie, but. You know, he pretty much he doesn't make flops. Like he, his no. movies never really lose money. He. I just figured it was such favorite. like a personal movie, and he's obviously it, older. It is very much a capstone to his career in many ways, but I don't think he's gonna stop directing films. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would really retire from filmmaking. Um, well, and actually, we know it's not his last film because we already know that. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Griffin. He is going to make. Uh, a, a Bullet movie. Are you familiar with the film Bullet starring Steve McQueen? Uh, no, I'm not, but it sounds intriguing. A 1968 uh, police thriller. I'll send you this poster, very famous poster. Uh, very famous car chase scene in this movie. Steve McQueen wears like a cool turtleneck. Mm. Um, so right. he is going to make a new Bullet movie. It's not a remake, but it's like a new movie about this character with Bradley Cooper as Bullet. Okay, you know what? I would see that. So, That's you know, he's already good. got stuff. He's already got stuff on the front burner. Uh, Steven Spielberg movie that I already wanted to see, or always wanted to see that I haven't seen yet. Bridge of Spies. Think that that's cool. Great movie, Griffin. Just a just a classic Spielberg. Like you, you already know what the movie is, and you're gonna enjoy it, Griffin. I guarantee it. I bet you, I will. And I think that's the perfect way to end the show. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Until next time, follow Griffin at GriffinPorter97 on Twitter. Follow me at Seahouse on Twitter. And please keep your floors high and your ceilings low.